welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Johnny Groney, film editor for The Young Folks and film critic for other places like Awards Watch and The School. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he's the co-creator of Cinemaholics. It's Will Ashen. Hey there. Will, we have a special guest. Yes, we do. Yeah, he's coming in all the way, beaming to us all the way from... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say Seattle, Washington. I think it's like, I, I don't know my Seattle area well, but it's like, you know, it's Washington State, big state. Mm-hmm. And he's a good friend of the show. It's Ryan Oliver. Yes. Hey, thanks for having me. And if you want to get technical, it's uh, North Bend, a.k.a. Twin Peaks, where I'm broadcasting from. I know some of those words. So, Ryan, what have you, it's been a minute, you know, I think the last time we talked to we you, it was on an extra milestone. We were talking about one of those movies, I think. What, do, what have you been up to? What's going on? Oh, just been busy mostly um i was just about to bring that up yeah extra milestone i think before that on the um main cinemaholics it was i want to say pet cemetery and shazam was last time i was Oof. on so yeah it's a been long a time ago um i'm happy to be back but yeah no just been keeping busy um you know we've all had to make adjustments in our lives um in the last couple of years so I've just been basically doing that so um but yeah happy to be back on cinemaholics to talk these films with you guys Hey, I'm a fan of your adjustments um, during these difficult times. I always love keeping up with your stuff. But for this week's show, we don't have a ton of movies to get to because as some of you listeners know, especially if you follow us on Twitter and everything, TIFF is going on right now. Venice just finished. Telluride just finished. I mean, it's it's festival season over here in Cinemaholics land. I'm covering the Toronto Film Festival Although, you know, it's virtual and I'll get into that a little bit later, but we only have two movies we're getting to for the main show this week. Well, what are they? I forgot. Well, we're talking about uh, James Wan's latest film, Malignant. And then not Aquaman 2. Not yet. That comes. Does that come out next year? 2023, I thought, but I I don't remember the slate. I don't remember the release date. I forgot. I'm forgetting everything. I know they're filming it now, but I didn't know when it was supposed to come out. Uh, Maybe it is 2022, but it's a holiday release. I have no idea. I know the last one was around Christmas, so I didn't know if that meant that we're getting it 2022. Yeah, only we had access to the internet. Sure. Uh, and then we're talking about a Netflix joint called Kate, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Woody Harrelson. I'm going to struggle to remember Kate. I saw it our, like a week or two weeks ago, and I, I'm like, I okay, let's see. What are the things I remember about that movie? So we'll get to yeah. that. Hopefully, you guys liked it more than I did. Yeah, I just saw it not too long ago, and it is not keeping a long residence in my brain i'll say that much going in i saw it yesterday and i don't really remember much about it so oh this is this is shaping up great okay <laughs> listeners i bet you can't wait to listen to a struggle to remember this movie okay well we will get to malignant first and i'm very very excited to talk about that movie for sure uh real quick want to say you can find more episodes of cinemaholics all of our episodes, our whole archive is on cinemaholics.com. you also find written reviews there, other bonus content. As always, we want to share our email with you. Slide into our DMs, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what's on your mind, no matter what it is. Even if it's not about movies, what's, what's, what's going on? We're worried about you. If you'd like to support this show, you'd always go to Patreon. That's the, you know, it's Patreon. You go to patreon.com, cinemaholics, you sign up for your favorite tier. It's easy. But you can also do it in a non-give-us-money way by going to Apple Podcasts and hitting that five-star rating. But if you do that, you know you could just do the five-star rating, do it anonymous. That's super cool. But if you also want to do a review, 
and you're like, okay, well, I want to get something for these five stars. I'm not just going to hand them to you. Uh, well, you know, put, put a little feedback in there. Be like, hey, can you guys talk about this movie? Can you, can you do this? Can you do that? Like order us around. That's what, all we're asking. So you can do that on Apple Podcasts. Also, Google Play and Stitcher let you do that as well. I think it's just Google Podcasts now. I always say Google Play. But yeah, just do that. That'll be really fun. And of course, as always, on cinemaholics.com, in addition to all that, you know, all that reading material, all that listening material, you can find our merch page. And we keep telling you that new merch is coming. And then, you know, I'm always just like, yeah, I'm working on it. And then I don't work on it. And then you don't have it yet. But the classic stuff's still on there. The, the retro logo that's currently being rocked by, you know, quite a few people at this point. I've, I've never seen anybody in the wild wear a Cinemaholics hoodie. Like the day that happens, well, I'm going to try to get a picture with them and send it to you because that's going to be like a moment. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That'll be a, a watershed moment for us. Yeah. Or at the very least, I would want to see somebody take a shot with a Cinemaholics shot glass. That would be, yes. you know, at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Someone goes to take out of a normal shot glass, a bartender takes a drink from them. Like, no, 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 no. You want to be drinking in style proceeds to slide the little, uh, um, Cinemaholics shot glass in their way fills it up extra high, even though it's a kind of small shot glass. Well, it's flooding. Oh, it's flooding yeah. over. You can't even. <laughs> yeah, keeps continues to pour. It's already getting on the table. He's like, oh, you might want to stop doing that. He's so distracted by the logo on the shot glass, he he just yeah, loses it's, uh, it's catching the twinkle pieces. in his eye. Yeah, I bet that's how uh, Christopher Nolan felt when he saw somebody with a tenant glass at a bar, and it's just you know the beer was like coming out of it and back into the bottle. So. There you go. Before we talk about Kate and before we talk about Malignant, uh, I wanted to bring up TIFF, Toronto Film Festival. I don't have too much to say. I was going to mention, you know, I got to be careful about this because I'm about, I, I don't want to sound bratty. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm complaining, like I'm forgetting my roots. But, we, you know, TIFF is a hybrid film festival this year. And so for, for some of our listeners who are like, TIFF, who is that? Uh, no, not TIFF, not Tiffany. The Toronto International Film Festival. It's the biggest North American film festival of the year. This is where some of the biggest like Oscar awards bait movies tend to come out. This is where Nomadland, you know, premiered. This is where Green Book and Shape of Water, like we tend to get best picture winners from this festival. It's pretty common. This one in Cannes are probably the two most common in general. And this is my first time ever covering TIFF. Will covered it last year, did a yeah. great job. You know, Thank Will you. I this year you you have you have the year off you're just, you know yeah. not not doing the tiff thing but yeah by year off that means uh i <laughs> missed the deadline for applying and i uh unfortunately won't be able to go though i've been hearing i didn't, I didn't want to put you on blast yeah you know, that's not, okay not i mean ryan sure <laughs> um but i will say i mean last year it went pretty much without a hitch i don't remember having a lot of issues with the tech or any of the um screener links but i'm hearing that's unfortunately not the case this year for a lot of people well i wasn't even going to get into that it was only the first day that it was like oh all the movies don't work and it ended up working by nighttime in my time in the pacific area so i i don't have a ton of complaint about there since then it's worked totally fine the big thing this year is it's a hybrid right so you can't watch all the movies you know online like virtually as press and, you know, this is like not just first world problems. This is like first, first world problems to be like, I, I can't watch all the movies on my computer that it's happening at TIFF. You know, I don't want to be that guy, but it's still it's lame. How am I supposed to cover this festival when all the biggest movies are only playing in Toronto? And on top of that, some of the virtual films 
also big films coming out at the festival. I can't watch them either. They're virtual, but they say they're not available in your country. We don't care. You have to be in like Canada or have like a Canada IP address or something. And I'm not, I'm not a hacker. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. I know about NordVPN, but I'm not about that life. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be in TIFF jail. And I'm in this situation where I can't watch the power of the dog. Uh, I'm not going to be able to watch, um, like, you know, dear Evan Hansen, Dune, like all these big TIFF titles, all Spencer. I, I can't watch any of any of the award stuff. Now I complained about this to Will and, you know, we, we were talking about it. Will's calling me down cause I was bawling into his arms, but you know, you know, Will, we, we, we did kind of come to a place where we, hey, you know, this is an opportunity to watch some lesser, fi- you know, known films, not lesser yeah. films, right? Maybe there's some surprises right. in store. That's what I've been doing. And I'm going to have a whole TIFF thing later this week, maybe, and tell you about some of these smaller movies I'm watching. And you know what? It's liberating. I'm having a good sure. time. I mean, I think that's part of the fun of going to a film festival virtual. Otherwise, uh, you can be like, oh, I have nothing about I know nothing about this movie other than the description and like the little photo that they put. Let's see if it's any good. And, you know, when it's great, that's awesome. That doesn't happen all the time, I will admit, but uh, it, it is cool when it does. Yeah, it's frustrating for coverage, for sure. But it is the, the best thing about a festival, like you guys already kind of said, is actually, you know, getting to see something you probably wouldn't have otherwise, because, you know, in, you know, a couple weeks or, to, you know, to a month, you'll see Dear Evan Hansen and Dune and Spencer, like those movies are going to come out. But some of these other movies may not come out for another year or two or four um, so yeah, it's, it's a good opportunity. I think that's a good way to put it. I've been having a good time. You guys are right. I mean, I'm able to sit there. It's like Netflix, the, the way the virtual thing works, there's time limits, but I mean, every day has like a new slate that expires a couple days from then. And it's easy. I just kind of like, look, and that's how I've been doing it. I haven't been reading a lot of the descriptions. I just see like a movie title and I see maybe a couple of actors I probably don't recognize. And then I might see who made it and then I'm in, I'm watching it. And I, I, I got to say, the best one by far, I mean, it's not even close, is Petite Mon, uh, which premiered, I believe, at Berlinale. But, oof, bad movie. The latest from Scalene uh, Skiyama, her follow-up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's fantastic. It's like, I'm li- I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat. Like, it's, it's, it's unbelievably good. And I'm kind of like, wait, is this going to be her big Oscar push, this movie? Because we didn't really get that with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Neon kind of was like, no, we're just going to put Parasite up. But this movie, I don't think has like a major distributor unless I'm totally missing something there. But great movie. I don't know. Ryan, have you seen Petit Maman yet? I haven't, but I'm chomping at the bit to see it whenever I get the chance. I hope you do. I feel like you would love it. I, I think, I don't, I mean, Ryan, I, I don't want to, get ahead of myself here but i think will might actually like it a little bit like he might actually what a concept um he might have an emotional reaction to it i mean i I remember it was getting a lot of really high notices you said at berlin festival right and there was one before this one earlier berlin ale yeah berlin ale um yeah i mean i i forgot the title of it but i just had remembered that was getting a lot of good notices and then when you mentioned you saw the film it took me a minute to realize what movie you were referring to but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know when it's supposed to come out widely, but I'm definitely looking forward to it, especially considering that I think it's only 74 minutes long. Oh, yeah. 72. 72. It's there you go. Made for you. Um, it's it's yeah. such a quick watch. But I mean, it's definitely not one of those movies where the, you're like, oh, that's why it's short. No, no, no. This is like, oh, th- this is bliss in mm. terms of its length. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about Tiff for now. And I, I don't want to get into anything. I haven't seen that many films yet. I think the the real like meat of the festival is about to heat up. So after this show, I'm going to you know put my put my feet to the fire and, and get to watching more things. But I did I did have a chance to see the Voyeurs, that new Amazon Prime thing. I'm I'm the only one here who watched the Voyeurs, but I did want to ask you know Ryan like what's the deal? I thought you liked. Sydney Sweeney, I thought you were a big fan. Um, are you planning on checking this movie out at some point? The Voyeurs on Amazon Prime? I'm going to be straight with you, John. Uh, until we pre-show here, this is the first I've even heard of this movie. So I'm the answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of under the... I don't think uh, Amazon wants people to even know this just came out. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen anything for it. The only reason we knew it was because we were looking at like the, the slate. Will and I last week, and it's like, oh, what's this movie? Although, Will, did you did you had you already heard of the Warriors? Maybe I'm misremembering that. Yeah, no, I was familiar with it. Only okay. that it was a new Sydney Sweeney film, but not uh, made by her, made by Michael Mohan. But right, with but her no, in it, with her in it, yeah, and Justice Smith, mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu's best friend. Yeah, yeah, his, his close partner, buddy. Yes, Will. His, yes, his trainer, his family. Yeah, the Warriors is basically like Rear Window, but for like pornography basically kind of i'm not sure how to describe it i'm not going to get into much detail but i did see it and i don't have like a binary see it or don't see it kind of thing i will just say this movie kind of sucked me in a bit it's it's one of those movies where it had me in the first half not gonna lie i was kind of like well what this is kind of like a like a slick presentation here like i'm liking the cinematography i'm liking the production design it takes place in montreal i i i knew it was french and will i i look we were talking about this before we started the show and will was like oh maybe it was in toronto will you were close it was in montreal it was canada and uh you know fitting for this release because you know the toronto film festival right now this is not tiff but yeah it, it's on amazon prime right now it's being billed as an erotic thriller and that's pretty much what it is but i i didn't get anything out of it like thematically at all but i kind of was like into its like smutty charms if that makes any sense and sydney sweeney is just like she's just a really good actress like she's kind of you know outdoing justice smith quite a bit here although they're a good team Uh, ben hardy is kind of like this sort of what's what's the word like neo peeping tom kind of character uh, for fans of that 1960 film, it's it's a it's worth a watch actually. I mean, if you're curious about it, I'd actually maybe give it a shot. I, I think it has a pretty gonzo last act. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, but that's all I'll say about the Voyeurs. One of those movies you don't want to give too much away, and I think the premise kind of speaks for itself. So it's uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video right now. It's way better than Cinderella. I will I will put it that way. I don't think it was shot on film, but it definitely has like a shot on film aesthetic. So that's that's for you, Will. Just for you. Right on. I was trying to remember. There's another movie that had kind of a rear window vibe this year, and I remembered it was The Woman in the Window. Yeah. So even had window in the title. Shameless. Sure. There you go. I'll have to check the voyeurs out. Um, that sounds at least interesting, and you don't get an erotic thriller on a, a certain scale really anymore. It seems like so. Um, I might have to check that out. Yeah. It's hey. It's not the smallest budget. I'm actually kind of impressed the effort they put into it. I'm a little disappointed. It's being kind of, it's getting, I think, panned right now by critics. Uh, you know, I, I, not panned. It's mixed 
mixed to slightly negative. It's not, it's, I think the last time I saw the Rotten Tomatoes, it was, it was lower end. It was like right below like 50. It's like in the forties. So not a, not a guarantee that you will like it, but I kind of did. So that's all I can say. All right, let's talk about our first big movie of the week though. And here's a movie that I want everybody to watch. Not, I'm just kidding. I don't want everybody to watch this. I think some people will get upset uh, with me if they watch this because I, I recommended it. But let's talk about Malignant. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders as they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary Imaginary He's the devil. Well, you already mentioned that Malignant was directed by James Wan. And, I mean, it's James Wan. We, we saw Aquaman from this guy, his big superhero yeah. movie, but... Tell us what are, his horror bona fides are, you know, pretty, pretty well known at this point, right? Yeah. Well, he directed the first saw. Did he co-write the first saw as well? Um, I believe so with Lee yeah. Winnell. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, but yeah, he is the he, he got his big break from the first saw film, kind of struggled to find his footing from there with like Dead Silence and um, the Kevin Bacon one became prominent once more with the first and second Insidious film. Then he did the Conjuring film, uh, first two Conjuring films, which really elevated him to be one of our premier horror directors. Because, I mean, people were taking stock of him, but having, you know, created one of the lasting uh, early 20th or 21st century horror movies uh, franchises, then another pretty well acclaimed one. Then now, you know, Warner Brothers, like horror movie darling at this point, uh, it, it gave him a little bit of clout. And then especially, you know. Going into studio director mode with Furious 7 and then Aquaman, it seemed like he was a proven success or a proven quantity at that point, which allowed him to have the carte blanche to basically get his blank check and make Malignant, which is, uh, you know, like the, you know, like he did the movies for them, for Warner Brothers. And it's like, now this is my my little uh, nugget, my little thing I can kind of do on my own before I go make Aquaman 2 and uh you know I give him props because uh I don't think he fully ran with it but by the end you can clearly tell that he he got to do he got away with things I think a lot of other filmmakers would not be allowed to get away with oh, at yeah. that budget and scale which which definitely makes me giddy I I have to admit this guy I I was thinking about this during Malignant we'll set it up of course we'll tell you all about it but there there's a section of this film where I was like this is why he wanted to make this movie and he had an idea I'm sure of like, I, I I could imagine if I could interview him, I would want to press him on this and be like, did you literally just have one scene in mind and you just built an entire movie around it? That, like, that's what it feels like. And I'm, hey, I'm super happy for the guy getting his blank check movie and that it's, it's getting like an overnight cult status because it's not doing well at the box office, but yeah, more people have talked about Malignant uh, 
in my feeds, my I don't know about your timelines, more people mm-hmm. talked about Malignant than any other movie this past week. I mean, Shang-Chi got yeah. a lot of conversation, but past few days, people people were like, Shang-Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't screened for critics, I don't think, right? I only saw the reviews come out, nope. I think, And the embargo Friday. was like right before Friday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I found. Stream, yeah. or screened very late. Like, they sent links out Thursday, and then as far as physical screenings, that was only in New York and L.A. That makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. us were just kind of like, we'll watch it at midnight with everybody, yay. And then mm-hmm. we watched Malignant. Um, I mean, I watched it Friday, right? And I was mm-hmm. just planning on seeing it because I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on HBO Max. I was like, oh, might as well. But then I started getting the hype because people were like, hey, you don't understand. Like, this this isn't, you know, uh, just another, like, conjuring universe kind of throwaway sort of thing. Because he's mm-hmm. that's the other thing. He's produced a lot of those movies. He produced, like, The Nun and uh, some of the insidious stuff after the first one. The guy hasn't written a film since The Conjuring 2. He didn't write this one, He did, but, you know, he's behind the story and all. He has a yeah. story credit. He tends to have story credits on a bunch of these, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he came up with a story with his wife, who also is um, in the movie for a brief role, Ingrid Bizu. Ingrid Bizu, yeah. Yeah, she was in Tony Erdman. That's the main thing I remember her from. Tony Erdman, um, which uh, did it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, but it didn't win, did it? Yes, I believe that's correct. Or one like like a second or third tier prize, like a grand jury thing or something, I think. I don't remember exactly, though. It, it was a big to do, though, at, at the year it came out, cons. Let me set this thing up because I want to I want to start with Ryan and I want to get his, you know, two and a half cents on Malignant. But the setup of this movie is that we follow this young woman played by Annabelle Wallace. Right. And she's just kind of, you know, she's doing her thing. She's. She's, uh, she's pregnant. She has a husband who you're not going to like, for sure. And a couple, couple spooky things start happening where you know, there's something like haunting them in this house. And as you can imagine, I even saw somebody joking about how like the house in there feels like every house in a James Wan movie, like just like the production design of it. But that said, uh, yeah, some, some creepy stuff starts happening and it all seems to center around her. You know, there's some of these murders that are happening in the area and she feels like she is like dreaming through them or something. It's very, very uncertain, unclear what's going on because she's like, wait, wait, you know, who is this person? And she starts to wonder if it's her imaginary friend from when she was a child. So that's kind of the setup for Malignant, all I want to get into, but... Ryan, what you, do you think of this movie? I mean, you know, talk to you about like, did you have any expectations for this one going in? I, I Were you already like on the, like, had you already seen all the hype, right? Or did you kind of watch this being like, oh, whatever? Well, so I, I got a little lucky in that I, too, watched it Friday, uh, but I was coming off of five pretty insane um, weeks at my day job. And my manager's like, hey, like, you know, if you don't really have anything to do Friday, don't. So I watched this at like 8.30 in the morning, uh, pretty much the second oh, yeah. after we took my, my son nice. to Montessori. Yeah, exactly. Will so, doesn't understand the pleasures, the privilege of watching a horror movie at, you know, before dawn. He seems to think <laughs> that it's uh, lame and not the right way to watch horror movies. It's very gatekeeper. I, I never said you can't watch a horror movie during the day. I just don't understand why you'd want to watch a horror movie during the day, but understand that 
whatever different strokes i think yeah yeah i think your exact words were you're doing it wrong you're embarrassing yourself (laughs) maybe so (laughs) well sometimes you got to do what you got to do and when you're strapped for time hey if if you got that window you got to take it right so uh so i watched it before the hype train and i guess I'll, i'll frame it a little bit going into the movie you know i'm i'm a pretty big fan of James Wan's overall. I mean, Will laid it out perfectly, his filmography. The only movies of his I haven't seen are his first film, Stygiant, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, and the second Insidious movie. But I, I've pretty much been in the bag for a lot of things that he's done. But And I was following this movie because he, you know, it was kept under wraps what the movie was about. All I knew about it was that he had mentioned prior to the lead up that it was going to be heavily influenced by giallo um which for anyone who's listening isn't familiar that's like the italian slasher movies um the pulp paperback novels with the yellow spine usually involved around a black glove killer and a detective or somebody coming into a detective role to figure out what is happening um that got me very excited when i saw the trailer for this movie and i don't usually watch trailers but i think it played in a theater in front of something that i went to see and it kind of deflated me a bit because it looked like just another Conjuring Universe movie and and not one like he directed either, like kind of like one of those offshoot ones, um, which I will say the look of this movie kind of feels that way, which we'll get into as we go along, um, like my one real gripe about the movie. But after watching it, I wouldn't say it's fully inspired by like that type of giallo, but this quickly becomes very heavily influenced by Italian horror in general. It it goes off the rails. The The color palette is bathed in red. Um, blade, there's a lot of blade uh, or knife-related deaths in the movie. Um, there is a black-gloved killer, which, you know, will kind of tiptoe around some of that stuff. Um, and it is really gnarly, really bloody. It, it relies a lot on dream logic. It kind of asks you to go off the rails along with the movie. So more than probably being conventionally good, I'd say the movie is like, it, it's it's insane for sure. And it kind of asks, a, not a lot of you, but it asks you to kind of go along with it. It's a wavelength, basically, I would say. And you're going to either be on it or not, which is kind of where John came from at the start of this, saying like, it's probably going to piss a lot of people off um, if you're not on this particular wavelength. But before I kick it back to you guys, John, I have to say, I th- actually thought of you uh, a bit watching this movie because, uh, as I already mentioned at the top, the last time I guessed on the show, we talked Pet Cemetery, And I remember, you know, almost over two years ago now, you saying during that review, and I quote, I'm so sick about horror movies about grief. And when this mm-hmm. movie starts, mm-hmm. it sure seems like that's kind of the route it's going um, but it completely subverts that without any sort of pretension whatsoever as the movie proceeds. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely thought of you um, by the end of this movie. But um, yeah, suffice to say, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I don't want to give anything away. I think you should go in as cold as possible. It is a bit, I wouldn't say unfortunate, but like the hype could, I feel, overhype it for some people. Um, but I would say just go in with an open mind. And I think if you're if you can tune into this movie's wavelength, I think you will really, really enjoy it. Here's the problem, Ryan, because, you know, first of all, yes, it is. It is the anti horror movie about grief cliche. Like this movie couldn't be less about that. (laughs) It's just so great. It's just like, to me, at least I look at this movie and I'm like, man, James Wan looked at Luca Guadagnino's remake of Suspiria and was like, 
Mm, that's a little bit too restrained, you know. But that's the thing. To get to this movie's big punchline, you have to sit through a generic kind of conjuring spin-off kind of movie, you know? Like this this kind of just sort of like, oh, it's like a faint sort of replica of, you know, Jalo movies. Like it's not it, it's not it's not super great. I mean, it's just it's a little hard boiled, I guess, but I was just kinda like, I don't care that much. I don't really love this character, but it, it keeps you going because some of the elements of it are pretty spooky and interesting. There's like the, the mystery. You're kind of like, Hey, this, this mystery seems kind of obvious, but there's gotta be more to it. Right. There, there's gotta be like an angle that we're missing. And, you know, clearly, clearly the movie, uh, turns us around, but, uh, Will, what, what about you? I mean, are, are you kind of on that? Were you on this movie's wavelength? You know, where, 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 how, how, how was your experience with this? Because you came in after a lot of the hype, mm-hmm. right? Because you saw this yesterday. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I saw it yesterday. I was, I think more, eager to see it than some leading up to its release because uh like ryan was saying i was hearing that it was a giallo riff i guess or like his take i think the exact quote that um uh james wan has that like it's giallo influence but it's like my take on giallo like he was basically saying that like he was inspired by like phenomena and trembre and a couple other dario gento films but it wasn't going to be like suspiria or like deep red or something like that it was going to be Kind of like his take on it, which I think he also mentioned Cronenberg and Hooper. Sure. Well, any body horror is going to be indebted to uh, Cronenberg, I have to imagine. But um, yeah, I mean, I was just excited to see on a like Hollywood budget, a Giallo film for like the modern day. And then like Ryan, I saw the trailer, I think, before the night house or something. And I was just kind of taken aback in a bad way because it's like, oh, this looks like you know, like another kind of haunted house paranormal film from James Wan. But like, I knew at the end of the trailer, they had like that kind of like guitar riff. And it kind of felt like a tease of like, Hey, we can't really say what this is, but like, it is going to be more like this. So like, you know, just like kind of like on the DL, like let know that that's what it's going to be. And I kind of similar to you, I felt like watching the movie for like the first, I'll say like 75 minutes. I was kind of like, I wasn't against it. I think it moves well. Uh, I think it has like kind of like high energy to it. And it, it has, um, you know, some decent performances and, and solid cinematography and select shots um, throughout. But I was kind of just like, yeah, you know, been here, done that. It doesn't seem I don't really get what James Wan really wanted to do with this passion project. I was a little underwhelmed for the first half or so, a little over the first half. And then I feel like, like you said, the joke kind of comes in. And that's the point where, like, my audience I saw it with, I think we had like kind of like a, a flipped reaction where like they were kind of with it for like the spooky paranormal stuff and I was kind of ho hum whatever and then when it became the more directly giallo reference like bloodbath part I was like perking up in my seat like oh yeah here we go this is where <laughs> this now we're talking and I think that was like oh no that's dumb I don't want that and I, I think that's where you're kind of suggesting earlier is that like that point that turning point is going to be so crucial for how people accept the film um it's sort of like orphan from a few years ago where it's just like if you hear the twist and you're like cackling and you're just like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> you're going to be with it. If you're like, Oh no, I, that, that took away from the suspense. I'm, I'm not down with that. Then you're going to be turned it back. But I think I was my, my hopes and hopes of the film was that it was going to be James Wan's like drag me to hell. Like his like kooky balls out horror movie between superhero movies or blockbusters at least. And I was like, hoping that'd be a case. I think that's somewhat the case, but I do think it is kind of, 
dragged down by the plotting and how like James Wan ultimately favors set pieces, I think, more than characters. Ultimately, it's been the case throughout most of his films, even his good ones. Uh, and I, I don't think it's an exception here. I, I do kind of wish there was a little bit more to get invested in the first half. But I also respect that James Wan, like he I, I think throughout the film, it's deliberate, like how the dialogue is like cheekily kind of wonky and like the performances kind of get more and more heightened as they go along. Those seem to be other nods to Giallo that I think other people aren't going to really pick up on or be kind of turned off against. But I, I ultimately, I mean, I, I do get the like 80s sleaze vibe throughout this. And I don't think it quite reaches those heights just because like the digital filmography, I don't think is quite great. I think that takes away from some of the, the charm of some of the prosthetics that we've seen later in the film. But ultimately, I, I think more often than not, I, I walked out of the film having uh, a pretty good time. I don't love it as much as some people do, but I can definitely see the appeal. And when it does go you know, bug nut insane. I think that's when it's at its most enjoyable. I'm glad you brought up Orphan because uh, that's in addition to Giallo, that's another thing that I see people online comparing it to, which is like the late 90s, early 2000s, or I guess late 2000s in Orphan's case, Dark Castle uh, films, you know, movies like the House of Wax remake and Orphan. Um, I feel like 13 Ghosts, I think is one of them as well. Um, People are comparing them to that and i do think it has a little bit of that feel to it um and then you you brought it up and i wanted to piggyback off what you said about the cinematography um because that was a big sticking point on this movie for me i usually don't like to like you know call out crew or anything like that but the the dp on this film michael burgess uh who's the son of don burgess who shot uh juan's last two movies the conjuring 2 and um Aquaman, he's usually um, Robert Zemeckis' DP. Um, but it's his son, and he shot actually the last three Conjuring Universe movies, um, which would be Annabelle Comes Home, Curse of La Llorona, and um, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And it just has this like really cheap digital look to it that I wish they went for some other like smaller movies, sm- smaller recent movies that have c- tried to emulate that giallo feel from the 70s i think specifically knife plus heart is one of them piercing would be another i kind of wish they would have went for that look and and that's really for me my only real big big sticking point with the movie is it does look kind of cheap and fakey from time to time when it should have been like this big sort of technicolor canvas i want to give michael burgess props though on the lighting because i think you know say what you want about the digital aesthetic like to me, it, it felt like a video game. <laughs> so like it kind of worked mm-hmm. for me. Like I, I kind of mentioned, uh, you know, in my my little tweet review of it, I, this movie is basically like a PS1 1998 horror video game brought to life in like the best way possible um, and in some of the worst ways possible. But I actually think what Burgess was able to do with the lighting on this and, and just sort of like hiding certain aspects of the twist using cinematography was I was actually really impressed by that. Yeah, I would I would vouch for that portion of it for sure, um, especially because I did I actually rewatched it last night. Um, I watched it Friday and then I rewatched it last night in anticipation of this um, show and, you know, watching it with knowing where it's going to ultimately go. I was able to pick up on those subtleties a, a bit more. I mean, it's a very unsubtle movie narratively for sure, but there are a lot of visual subtleties that I think really, really work in its favor. And I got to say, though, I know you guys are, are pretty down on the first two thirds of the movie, and I completely, completely understand. But I think there's a couple like heartbeat, like heart monitor blips that do happen throughout this first part mm-hmm. of the movie. I think specifically the cold open of the film. I would agree. Yeah, yeah sort of. Yeah. yeah, sort of like emulate. I feel like that the tone to come um, 
And it does happen. I mean, there's like, we'll have to get into the score of the movie as well, which is mm-hmm. kind of all over the place, like the movie, which I appreciate. Like, there'll be like kind of classical, uh, almost like prog, you know, go- goblin-esque sounding score. But then there'll be like a, a, a remix of Where Is My Mind by the Pixies yeah. worked into it. There was also, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be crazy. There was one bit of score that I swear played that like chant that you hear at like an NBA game that like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I like little touches like that were able to kind of get me through that first two thirds. But I, I would at least largely agree that the, some of the character stuff, not particularly great. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you can almost forgive it a smidge because the movies he's trying to emulate like phenomena, uh, which you brought up. Will I'd also throw in the sect is another movie. Um, it's uh, Michelle or Mikel Sovali. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's like a Dario Argento protege. Um, mm-hmm. Like reminded me of that as well. But anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely enjoyed the score and I, I was a little taken aback by the um, lifting from where's my mind. I, I was, I kept wondering if like they knew that they were doing that <laughs> pixies. I mean, uh, or if they had just kind of like made a change enough to where it, it, it doesn't, quite inspire a lawsuit but i mean it's, it's kind of hard not to think about that song obviously they, they're definitely evoking it but um yeah i mean i guess for me i'm kind of torn because like i i appreciate the like flashes of like red and and the hyper colorized moments but i also feel like a lot of scenes especially in the middle feel kind of washed out and a little drab visually in a way especially the scenes that primarily take place at night it just felt like there's opportunities for a little bit more pulp or a little bit more visual style and it seemed like in the middle it was less inspired than like the opening and the closing so it wasn't enough to like take me out of the movie completely but i did kind of find myself uh uh less engaged with those segments compared to the opening and obviously the closing i'll mention the score too so this is joseph bashara who's been he's done the score for a lot of james wan movies a lot of conjuring verse movies he did like insidious uh, i think the first two insidious he did dark skies uh the scott stewart film and he did, uh, and he like he did a VHS right? um, in addition to Annabelle and a whole bunch of stuff. And one one thing that I like about Joseph Bashar too is that he's been in a lot of like a lot of these movies as like a demon or something. Like they tend to get him to like dress up and and do all kinds of fun stuff like that. I looked for his name in the credits of this. I didn't see. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he plays any like sort of spooky like thing in this movie. But uh, you know. That's that's OK. He did, he's done a lot of other stuff. But yeah, I, I agree with uh, the take there about the music. I think I think what's weird about this movie is also kind of what's so unique about it. I mean, it's it really does feel like two very distinct horror styles trying to sort of like coexist. And I think when they're trying to coexist is when the movie for me is like just a bit harder to accept, you know, at least on the first viewing. I wonder if the second viewing to what you're saying, Ryan, I'm going to be able to sort of like feel this movie out a bit easier because when I guess for me, it's just, it was frustrating to be like, is this really like a can't be B movie? Is this really like Dark Castle or is this, you know, another conjuring kind of thing? Is this sort of like what is that Stranger Things font trying to tell me? And yeah, it's like those two things don't go together very seamlessly, at least for me on first viewing. But yeah, I mean, once it really goes full in, there's a there's a moment in this movie uh, I think somebody on Twitter called it the holding cell that time forgot. Um, this scene here, which I won't say anything about it in detail, 
where think I think this is like the turning point of the movie, if I, you know, like or it's part of the turning point. Like there's like a sequence of scenes, like a building tension to like what's going on, and there's a reveal right then and there that is just I, I can't I cannot believe kind of to what you were saying, Will, that this movie had a forty million dollar budget. Like a movie like this, which in the eighties probably would have had like a two million dollar budget. 12 people might have seen it at a rental store. Like it's one of those movies where, you know, you kind of have to go to the, the clerk and be like, all right, but can you, can you give me like the good stuff here? Can you give me that, like the kind of movie that we saw like being censored and censor, you know what I mean? And the fact that it's coming out, it's on HBO max, you know, it's in theaters, like it, it's on a ton of screens. It's tanking at the box office, I think for a very specific reason, but yeah, I'm just sort of, I'm in awe. I'm in awe that this movie happened. Yeah, no, I mean, I, totally agree i think that's like the the joy of it right is that you he got away with it basically because he had the studio clout and he's like okay give me this one and then i'll do your aquaman movie i mean not they didn't want to do aquaman too i'm sure he, he did but it was just like let me just kind of have my little moment yeah he and likes I appreciate, money. <laughs> yeah and i appreciate that like warner brothers seems to be kind of embarrassed by it and just like oh you know james just kind of wanted to do his own thing here you go sorry about that and critics are for the most part kind of be like are you kidding like this is what we wanted yeah. <laughs> from you guys but of course the audience response seems to suggest that we're probably not this is going to be more the exception than the norm for what they're going to put out we'll probably get more uh sort of listless conjuring sequels and uh spinoffs at this point which you know is the way it is i guess but i did appreciate yeah it did feel like he kind of got away with something here and then i also really did appreciate the um the it looked like prosthetics for the most part towards the end i don't know for sure if it was a it prosthetics or like a, yeah which i also really appreciate that you know he uh did that and, and then there's also like some good uh contortionist work without saying too too much um as well that i really appreciate yeah i mean that little moment is i think kind of like the gem uh here and i think the rest of it's fine enough to like warrant that but yeah i I agree with you as you were saying before that like that's if that's the point where you're just like no bueno i'm not about this and you're not gonna have a good time (laughs) for this movie but if that's the point where you're like oh hell yeah let's do this then then Mm -hmm. you're you're the ideal audience here and it's such a smart move to to just go that like insane with this because i think i want to say maybe it was john who brought it up because the again we're not going to spoil anything but i think it's safe to say the the what of the reveal is really obvious from the start and you're like oh well that's like deflating i know exactly where this is going but the how there's no way you're gonna figure that out uh, at all and so i i think it's a smart move for them just like yep Gloves are off. We're going. We're going this route now. And um, you know, I, I do agree to Will's point. I think, I think you mean gloves are on. Oh, Ryan. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I think that's actually a fair, fair point. Um, but I was gonna piggyback off what you said, Will, in, in that I think this is going to be the exception of the rule. Um, but it is ex- exciting, at least, that it exists. Um, we talked recently on on my uh, podcast, the Good, the Bad, the What. Um, we talked about. Alien Assimilation films recently, and we talked about Slither, uh, James Gunn's first movie or second movie, and um, both me and my co-hosts are big fans of that movie, but we had mentioned, and we, of course, brought up The Suicide Squad, and we're like, yeah, it's fun and all, but, like, I wish James or uh, James Gunn, excuse me, would use his clout to make, like, Slither or Super on a 50 million budget based on like having made the Guardians movies and, and the make a slithering. Yeah. Slithering. Make a slithering. Directed by James Gunn. Exactly. 2022. And so what I'm saying 
is that we got with James Wan basically did that was like, okay, I made Aquaman, I made a billion dollars. I've I've directed slash produced nine Conjuring movies that have grossed two billion combined. I'm going to take my blank check before I make the Aquaman sequel. And he and he did it. He made the movie that we want these filmmakers to hopefully use their clout from comic book movies to make. Um, and so it's like for better or worse, we got it. Um, but I think I think it's for the better. Personally, I had a blast. James Wan, more like James Want. <laughs> <laughs> um i mean I, the only thing i'll push back on is I, I think if you ask james gunn about that he would probably say brightburn is that movie for him however you feel about that film but i guess that's sort of his like oh yeah blank check yeah but i would i would much prefer if he just had a chance to make a a balls out weird goofy horror movie horror comedy movie again but i don't know maybe someday who knows maybe but you you already brought up drag me to hell and i feel like that's actually probably I wouldn't say this movie is as good as that, but I think that's a good comparison point for people um, going into this movie, because I remember similarly, that movie takes a turn that people it's like, you're really with it or you're, you're not. Um, But that movie, Sam Raimi to a T just as this is, you know, James Wan to a T. So I think that that's probably one of the best closest approximations of this movie. Yeah. I guess for me, the the big difference there is like drag me to hell. Like the whole movie is like awesome like it's the whole way through whereas this one you kind of have to eat your vegetables with this movie a bit drag me to hell there are no vegetables it's all steak uh, my opinion at least oh that's a fair, actually a fair fair analogy but yeah so ryan we play we like to play a little game these days on the show you know it's uh it's a little quiz show you know it's a it's a guess the rotten Tomatoes score now you might have already seen the rotten Tomatoes score so it could help you i don't know um the rule is don't cheat so I know it's a tough rule to follow, but all you have to do is we're just going to see who can guess the Rotten Tomato score the closest. And we're not just doing the Rotten Tomato score, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll start. We'll start with you, Will, because you know that you know the rules, the tricks hmm. of the game. So yes. you know it's possible Ryan might have seen the score and is like, uh-huh, I got this in the bag, but I'm not sure. going to mention that I saw the score. I'm going to look super smart, and so everyone listening right now is going to follow my podcast on Twitter. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to help Ryan out with his marketing lash. And so you're going to have to go first. Uh, so we will. Yeah. What do you think? Rotten Tomatoes. What are we doing? I'm going to say, I'm going to go high. I'm going to say 74%. All right. So 74% guess hmm. from Will Ashton. Ryan Oliver, this is it. This is your chance to make an impression. Is this like Price is Right rules? Like the closest without going over? Um, no, can I bet just, $1? Closest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 if I recall, cause I did see it the other day, of course, that given the, the way that, uh, we mentioned the rollout critics have been slowly seeing it. So it could have gone up or down. Um, but I'm going to say, I'm going to go one up. I'm going to say 75. Lashin, how does it feel to be crushed in mm. battle? Because guess what the score is? It's 75. 75 all right and that was close 75 percent. you were <laughs> not close enough yeah. um 75 percent out of 73 reviews ryan yeah ryan good well done uh, yeah will doesn't lose very often and well i again i did see it on friday i'm just shocked that it, <laughs> i'm shocked it held to be honest i'm shocked that it didn't like get it and then like sink like a stone to like the low 60s so i just went with my gut there now we're going to get to the harder one, right? Now we're because we we know how film we know how film critics operate. Like they're pretty predictable, but audience scores we hardly get those right. Mm. Will Ashton, what do you think this audience score is on Rotten Tomatoes? 
I'm going to go low because just based on my audience response to the film and how I feel other mainstream audiences are going to feel, I'm going to say 54%. 54% from Will. He's going the anecdotal approach. What, what say you, Ryan Oliver? I'm going to say, yeah, that's tough, actually. I know it got a C cinema score, and that's pretty par for the course for a horror uh, movie. You gave it away. We were going to do cinema oh, score shit. last. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to swear. Oh, God. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, though, uh, I'm going to go a bit lower. I'm going to say it's 45. Oh, you went too low. Will, you got you won that round. It's 51%. Okay. Um. Yeah, 51%, 100-plus yeah. verified ratings on mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's a divisive film for audiences, but, I mean, what did you expect, I guess? James Wan, like we said, went out. He was just like, I'm just going to do my thing. If you like it, cool. If not, whatever. I'll see you with Aquaman 2. Yeah, there, yeah, there's the door. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so since we can't do – yeah, cinema score is a C. I'm sorry. <laughs> since we can't do that, <laughs> um, Ryan, your punishment is you have to try to – Recite the critics' consensus word for word. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I have to do that. <laughs> but all right. That is Malignant. It's available to stream right now on HBO Max and see it in theaters. It is just 111 minutes long. We do have one more film to talk about. And this one also is available to watch on a streaming service. And that streaming service is Netflix. This movie is called Kate. And Kate is an action revenge thriller. It was directed by Cedric Nicholas Troyan and written by Umer Alim. This one stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead as an assassin in Tokyo. And, you know, she's she's ready to get out of the game. She's been an assassin since she, since she was a kid. She's ready to retire. Who, who can blame her, right? Uh, she works for Woody Harrelson's character. I think his name in movies like V or something. I, it's pretty lame. But, you know, he's, he's kind of along for the ride. It's her last job. Everything's going fine. She guesses. But then something traumatic happens. And then something even worse happens. And now she's in a situation where she only has 24 hours to figure out who just poisoned her. And if she if she's successful, she might be able to get her revenge. If she's not, well, you know, what are you going to do? And she kind of goes after these crime bosses, the Yakuza, I think they're Yakuza or Triad, who are, you know, basically trying to, they're trying to kill her. They're trying to get her, to, they're trying to take her down. Over the course of the movie, though, she strikes up a bond with the daughter of one of these mob bosses, one of the ones that she assassinated, in fact. And the two of them kind of team up, sort of take down this organization bit by bit. So the movie, like I said, just hit Netflix. There there was some, you know, anticipation for it. And I, I, I have to say, I, I hadn't really heard much about the movie. I mean, I think um, David Leach was like producing the film. Mm-hmm. The first time I had heard of it. And, you know, there's some chatter about the movie. Some people being like, hey, you know, this is Mary Elizabeth Winstead kind of coming out to play here. She's kind of like looking Atomic Blonde in the eye, kind of be like, you know, maybe this is going to be like a fun new sort of John Wick kind of inspired action movie with some really good action scenes and some really good characters, that sort of thing. Yeah. The movie just came out, though. And, you know, I, I we kind of already mentioned, we kind of gave away the game here that it just doesn't seem a lot of us. Like a lot of us are that into it. I mean, I, I've forgotten most of it. I, I was struggling through the synopsis, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Will, you, it's, it, you, you were excited about this one, though, right? A little bit, yeah. I mean, at least before the reviews came out, or at least before you saw it. Um, because, I mean, just based on the synopsis, it sounded like, all right, here's Mary Elizabeth Winstead's big action movie. It's cranked by way of John Wick. 
And it's her going after the Yakuza. It's like, all right, that sounds like a totally fun thing that I would like. But it's kind of in the same camp as uh, Sweet Girl from a couple weeks ago, where it's like, if you told me that on paper, like, yeah, sure, that seems fun. But uh, unfortunately, part of the chorus with a lot of these Netflix exclusive exclusives, um, they seem to sap a lot of the style or like the like heart of it and just they become kind of cold and clinical by uh unfortunately like by uh by design basically because they seem to kind of follow like a uh derivative sort of metric for how these things are supposed to play out and it seems like they're so focused on how things should be looking and how they should be like cool and so on that it, it becomes a weirdly sort of humorless uh dull experience even though on paper this should be a slam dunk yeah, it's like they, yeah, they're taking fun ideas and doing them in the most generic way possible. But I am going to stick up for Afterlife of the Party, one of the recent Netflix original movies that actually was really worth checking out. So I'm going to plug that. I'm going to hype that one up a second week in a row. But yeah, in general, Netflix movies, especially the action ones. I mean, when was the last time a Netflix action movie was like, you know, take it home to your parents and introduce them? Like, what, I, I'm struggling to think of a single one. I can't think of a single one. And and I wanted to, you know, piggyback off that of just saying not not just that it's a Netflix original, but specifically these action ones. Even when you have I mean, this is just personal opinion, even when you have a filmmaker like who is good and, you know, is very capable, like I think of like Gina Price Bythewood with the the old guard, which is a movie that I really had the opposite reaction to than a lot of our peers. I was like, this is kind of quite terribly choreographed and made oh thank and, you yeah i really uh, disliked that movie yeah and it's not I, good and well and i didn't like extraction either sweet girl you mentioned yeah. i watched mm-hmm. last week or two weeks ago and i was like oh my god so i i, I guess what i don't understand with Gun, these, can we mention go, f- yes. gunpowder milkshake which i almost forgot happened but yeah gunpowder milkshake yeah which i was, was gonna embarrassing i was gonna bring that up later because it's kind of hard not to compare these two films there's also another it's like an amazon movie i think called jolt with kate beckinsale i didn't see it but also had kind of a similar kind of premise and i guess similar issues based on the reviews for that but yeah and similar poster yeah yeah that's true <laughs> sorry sorry for cutting you off there Ryan. no you're good you're good i'm glad you brought that up and i i actually haven't seen jolt or gunpowder milkshake so i have no comparison there um mainly because really until you guys uh, you know so graciously asked me to be on the show which again thank you but i i had no desire to see this movie <laughs> like until being asked to be on this show just because i i've stopped watching these netflix action movies because they're just so and i think the frustrating thing is in theory i like that they're still kind of making these mid-budget like action programmers that studios have seemingly all but abandoned like unless it's keanu reeves or denzel washington or jason statham like these don't usually come out in theaters. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate that they're like seeking and and making it a starring vehicle for people who maybe wouldn't have gotten that chance theatrically. And before I just sound like I'm so, so down on this movie, I think Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a, a very capable actress. And I think that I definitely think she holds her own in this movie. I just wish she got a better vehicle to, to frame it. But when you're not in a theater, like and you're going SVOD, like these Netflix action movies, it's like you're now basically in the ballpark of like other you know sort of like svod action movies that end up on itunes like your frank grillo movies or your scott atkins movies and and they're much better like those movies are so much better than these netflix ones that people wouldn't blink or give the time of day to because like oh it it went to just to, to vod but it's like going to netflix is basically the same thing 
Um, but because it's Netflix and they have those marketing dollars, it's going to get more eyeballs on it. So I, I just, uh, sorry, i sorry for the rant, you guys. I, I was very I frustrated by this movie, as you can tell. I like the rants. Keep them coming. <laughs> yeah, they, they really are sort of committing to like, hey, we're, you know, it, it's like a red box approach almost. It's just sort of like they'll watch any old thing. But I mean, it does damage over time. However, we should probably be more specific. I think that this is more so American, like North American geared action movies on Netflix. Yes. You know, so your Spencer Confidentials and, you know, I, hey, I stick up for old guard, but I will concede that the, the action is not, you know, anywhere close to being the stuff about that movie that I like. But they do have some action movies, some originals that are fantastic. They're just not American. I mean, I was just talking about on the show not too long ago, Roroni Kenshin, the live action Roroni Kenshin movies that they put on Netflix, incredibly good action. Some of the best action of the year. They're fantastic. But, you know, they're, it's, that's a totally different scale. So there, there is a, a Netflix action movie I can think of, but American-wise, certainly not. So that's kind of the deal with Kate here. And I'm upset. I mean, I, man, I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean, when I saw Woody Harrelson, I was like, I like Woody Harrelson too, but I was just kind of like, oh no, I know what you're going to do here. I, I know what you're going to do and you're just going to do it. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to do it like two hours later. And I'm like, you're not even going to try to subvert anything. You're not going to like put in like a twist that somebody might be surprised by like just all this stuff happens and in, in the most sort of predictable fashion and the the thing the, there is one thing about kate that i thought rang way truer than gunpowder milkshake gunpowder milkshake sort of has this like aesthetic of like female friendship being the heart of the movie which is a great idea because, you know, female friendship is a powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing to see on screen. The way Gunpowder Milkshake did it rang super false to me. I mean, it just rang so like a glorification of like violence being shared by women that just sort of was like, eh, you know, like read the room a little bit. With Kate, it does, it, it's a little bit better than that. It's a little bit more defensible kind of like where it lands on some of its like worldview and some of its moralizing uh, but at the same time, it it still is sort of like violence is terrible. Enjoy, like you know what I mean. It's just sort of like it's it's reveling and fetishizing action and revenge and violence, but like dressing it up with you know surface level liberal values that don't really connect. And it's just sort of like oh, I know what you're doing. It's just so pandering and it's annoying. But you know, it, there there are elements of that stuff there that can resonate for some viewers. I expect. So I struggled with this movie quite a bit because I, how many movies did we get just this year that are challenging the revenge trope, right? Like movies like Writers of Justice, even, you know, like the, the nobody one with Bob Odenkirk to an extent, you know, ever since you were never really here, I just think that really smart filmmakers have been looking and analyzing these issues and doing a great job at it. So Let's, more of that, please. Yes. Not this. Or Nicolas Cage's uh, Pig, for example, would be another one. Oh, that's the other one I was forgetting. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. Pig. Yeah. Yeah, because in that movie, it just sort of is like, hey, you know, it, it, it makes you think you're getting a John Wick thing. You're, like Nicolas Cage is going to go full ham, pun intended and not intended at the same time. But then it's like, no, 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 you're getting a meditative, you know, deconstruction of why we think that aggression and, and hostility toward others gets us what we want. And then Kate comes out and it's sort of just like like a, a 2012, you know, red box movie that, you know, is just sort of like, why is this here? Why is this being made when we could be 
you know, raising the bar a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think my biggest issue, as I mentioned before, is this that like it's so glossy in its presentation that the superficiality becomes more apparent, especially with the fairly derivative storyline. But even more than that, I just feel like the movie doesn't seem to be having fun with itself or its premise. It just seems like it's so weirdly dour and moody throughout the film that like the action's fine, but you know, the, you have to slog through like, even though like we mentioned Mary Elizabeth Winstead's giving, you know, a dependable good performance, I'd like to see another action movie from her with better material, but it just doesn't seem like anyone involved is really uh, enjoying this or or playing it up. And I think one thing that the John Wick imitators tend to forget is that they're very heavily influenced by Buster Keaton and like silent comedies. And I think that's why I appreciate about nobody is that it at least seem to be self-aware of that and kind of play up the like goofiness of the premise while also having some fun over the top action scenes. And this is like, yeah, the action scenes, I guess I would call them like competent. Like you can see what's going on. They're not, uh, unamusing i guess but they just don't really have a lot of flavor or unique style to it and outside of just like having it be in japan which is just going to be visually interesting by itself uh it just doesn't really have a lot going for it in the uh in the visual department unfortunately yeah and i feel like it also utilizes uh what's becoming i, I guess it can be used well but but is becoming frustrating in some of these like john wick imitators is like the just onslaught of shallow depth of field in these movies that I feel like are almost deliberately hiding the cheapness. Like they're, they're in like a back alley somewhere in Japan. And it's like, there, there's no reason this whole thing can't be in focus, right? It's like, you're just kind of obscuring how kind of small and cheap your production is. And I had no idea you brought this up at the start. I had no idea that David Leach produced this and I, I got to say, I mean, he's even as a director has, has come out to be the more, disappointing filmmaker from the John Wick duo. Like I really haven't been in the bag for anything he's done, whether it be atomic blonde, Deadpool two, especially not Hobbs and Shaw, like mm-hmm. just become really, really disappointing in, in, even in an action realm. It's like, yeah, they're, they're competent. I, I think as will mentioned, but um, yeah, this, this has like even less stylistic flair than those movies I just mentioned. And very, you know, it, it they're again they're competent. You can see what's happening. The movie at least is, at least has the decency to kind of move at a clip. I, I know you guys already brought up Sweet Girl, which that movie was like molasses. <laughs> watching it, uh, <laughs> this this at least like kind of moved. Um, did you know meat and potatoes doesn't subvert anything. Goes exactly where you expect it to go. Um, but it, it was just yeah, it was pretty pretty unfun, pretty dour as Will already mentioned, and I, I don't really. Yeah, I, I just kind of about the halfway point or maybe two thirds of the way. I'm just like, what are what are we doing here? What am I doing here? Oh, <laughs> What's, why is this happening? <laughs> I will say that I am kind of, you know, like cautiously anticipating David Leach's next directorial film, Bullet Train, which is oh, yeah, the yeah. one he's doing with Brad Pitt through Sony. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure, it's like more assassins because the dude has no other he's got no other bullets in the in the holster. But um, yeah. I know some people were kind of chattering about how Kate was. Some people had a like issue with how it's just sort of like, I don't want to watch this like white woman murdering tons of Asian people for like 106 minutes. So I definitely understand that there's a, there's a lot of that in this movie. It's just kind of the, that's what happens when, you know, you, you kind of do this sort of like trend, you know, travel by way of action movie kind of thing. I did have one bad joke to make. Um, well, a lot, but uh, just one I'm choosing to make right now. Uh, this movie, when I was watching it, I should have made this. I did a, a version of this for my Letterbox review, but uh, John Wick and Kate plus eight other movies you'd rather be watching. Yeah. 
Good. Good. Okay. No. I give it a give it a B minus. Hey, That's I'll take that. That's very generous, very generous of you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Also, I mean, we haven't really touched on like just the the tire trope of female assassins get a kid under their watch. We saw that with Gunpowder Milkshake as well, and it just feels like. I don't know. I just find that kind of dismissive at this point. On Netflix. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I just feel like it just kind of like, it just feels like tired and sort of like dismissive that like we can't just have like a woman assassin movie where she has to kind of deal with her own issues. She has to have like issues with like maternal struggles or something. Just seems like we've been Mm. been there, done that. And this movie doesn't have anything, you know, thematically compelling to to do with that material that just feels like another kind of... uh, uh, cheap way to like humanize this assassin character in a way that I don't know. I, I once that the child element came into play, that's why I think I fully started to like check out this thing. Yeah, same here. Um, are we ready for our game or did you have any other last thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, I guess my only other thought is I, I would say these sort of lackluster action sequences, you know, we, we to, to take the gas off of Netflix just a bit. I mean, I think this is happening at the big studio level. And I, I too, where I'm just like, I've thought of that a lot this year, where it's like there's been, you know, kind of martial arts or like fluid take action movie inspiration in some big movies like Mortal Kombat or Snake Eyes or even Shang-Chi. And I'm just like, why don't you get like a like a Gareth Evans who did the raid? Like, why don't you get somebody to do these movies instead of handing them to like, I'm not really familiar with this filmmaker. It looks like he was like a visual effects artist largely. Um, he's only directed like this and Huntsman's Winter War or something like that. Yes, like the Snow White and the Huntsman sequel without Snow White. That's right. Yeah, which I never yeah. saw. But like it, it's, it's very it's, bad. That's what I could could gather. And yeah. it's just like, why are you giving these or like, you know, something like Snake Eyes with Robert Schwenke? I'm like, why aren't you giving this to like the guys who made the raid or or mm-hmm you know, people who actually have an eye for this kind of material. And so I think the, the, you know, again, to go back, it's competent enough, this movie, but it's just like, just get someone who can do these sequences and make them pop. Cause at the very least, even if your moral muddying is, you know, or your morality is not great and it's muddied or, um, you know, whatever the case may be, or it's not the most original plot, you can get away with that. If you have like, you know, three slam bang sequences and this one, they just all kind of feel like the same sequence. So, um, I just, just get, get better action filmmakers. That that would be my one plea, both for Netflix and like big temple movies. Just, just get better action directors. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like this one because of the Yakuza storyline and they have like a little nod to beat the Kashi at the beginning. Like I'm assuming that's like, they're, they're kind of trying to go for like that blunt, like sharp violence of his films, which is kind of cool for like that one scene where she's like uh, beating up and like killing all those guys in like the restaurant or whatever. But outside of that, it just it just like you said, it grows repetitive and kind of dull because it doesn't have any tricks up his sleeve and just kind of does the same thing over and over and over again to to add nauseum, unfortunately. Yeah, agreed. Well, that's Kate. Don't have much else to add for me here, but uh, I am curious if you guys are going to gonna get this one right and i don't know i don't know though if ryan already spotted the rotten tomatoes for this but let's see oh actually i got a um i actually know the score so you can start with ryan um oh at least he's honest uh ryan oliver let's see if you can beat will ashen who's suspiciously gonna be right on oh man um yeah i have not looked the score because as i mentioned i i was very unfamiliar with this movie prior to hopping on mic so i'm i'm gonna guess Oh boy. Um, I'm going to say 44%. 44 for Ryan. Will Ashton. So you saw it already, close. but hey, it could have changed. 
It could have changed, though. Uh, I mean, last I saw, Ryan is very, very close. Uh, it's 43%. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm a little suspicious, Ryan Oliver. I don't know. Well, I, I looked at the saw something on the Wikipedia, and I, I happened to see the score there. That's, that's in my uh, defense, that's how I found out. Um, right but on, right on. I don't know the audience score, so we can guess this one. Here we go. Okay. Will Ashen, what do you think the audience score is? Uh, I'm going to say Shot in the Dark 64%. 64 for Will. What do you think, Ryan? I'm going to say 72. Oh, Will wins that round. It's 61%. Oh, wow. Just okay. barely so bit, with the standing uh, popcorn <laughs> icon. <laughs> just barely. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's the only thing left standing after this movie in some ways. But um, yeah, no cinema scores since it's Netflix. So we didn't get to do any cinema scores this week. Again, I'm sorry. I've <laughs> <laughs> done goofed. Uh, no worries. No worries. No worries. Um, yeah, it's out on Netflix. I mean, it's, ah, it's disappointing, disappointing. But who knows? Who knows what the future holds for Netflix films in general? I mean, we're getting into that period of time where we're going to get more of them at a probably better quality, more consistently. But you know, since it is award season for next week, uh, there's not a ton coming out that's on my radar. Uh, I'm interested in seeing Blue Bayou with uh, you know Alicia Vikander. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, it looks interesting, but the early reviews are not super strong not that there yeah. are a lot already but i love um, yeah. the look of it i mean it looks cool like from the trailer yeah. i've seen it's like shot on i think like um 16 millimeter it yes. has like kind of like it's, the, yeah mm-hmm. so i was just gonna say it was directed written by justin chan so yeah one thing i wanted to point out but there's also i think cry macho coming out this upcoming weekend the new clint eastwood film yeah he has a new i honestly I'm surprised like that it's coming out with so little fanfare, but I haven't seen many marketing for it. But yeah, Cry Macho. Yeah, I'm I I'm kind of concerned about that, but also considering that they didn't really market Malignant, I'm kind of just wondering if because this day to date uh, thing for mm-hmm. Warner Bros was such a big failure, if they're just trying to save on marketing at this point and you know not really promote yeah. their movies as much as they used to because. They know that all these movies are going to HBO Max and they might be losing and having more money as a, the the rest of the year goes on. But that's just my my guess. I have no inside knowledge yeah. of that. No, I think you might be on the money there because I feel like the movies like I mean, most of their movies have suffered, I guess. Let's be real. But like the ones that have like really, really suffered, could not generate interest are like the quote unquote, like adult movies, you know, like uh, those who wish me dead in the heights. And like Cry Macho really, really fits into that realm. Um, and just also having worked in movie theaters, like, you know, in for a decade or a little less than a decade in the, the late 2000s to, to mid 2010s, um, Clint Eastwood movies do exceptionally well theatrically, but amongst a, a much older audience who I feel like is probably not neither super inclined to go into a movie theater at this moment nor do they have HBO Max. So I feel like they're a yeah. little bit like, what do I do with this movie? So, Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Richard Jewell underperformed at the box office, right? His Richard last Jewell film? did underperform uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess specifically movies starring Clint, because Clint has had more more farewell tours as an actor than Kiss has at this point. Um, <laughs> like, seemed to do well. Like, Gran Torino did insanely well at the theater I worked at. When I saw The Mule, it did really well. Um, so, and, and it being a Western and him returning to the genre that made him an icon, um, you would think it'd be a much bigger deal, but I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see. 
It could be, you know, because critics haven't, uh, are still borrowed on it. So mm-hmm. I have a feeling there is a reason for that. I think that it's because a lot of it too is like not necessarily the quality of his films, but the subject matter. The guy is sort of just, you know, it, his approach to films in general and stories in general is a bit of a relic of the past. Uh, I did want to mention, uh, so Cop Shop is another one I'm kind of curious about just because the reviews have been pretty Cop Shop like, decent so far. Cop Shop. Cop uh, Shop. That, that's the new Gerard <laughs> Butler, Frank Grillo uh, film that's opening wide next week. It could be good. And then uh, there's everybody's talking about Jamie, the uh, adaptation of the Broadway play. Another uh, play kind of musical that's hitting Amazon. Amazon's on a roll this month. I mean, that's three weeks in a row. They're coming out with something kind yeah. of, uh, you know, is we're talking every, about. Is everybody going to be talking about everybody's talking about Jamie? Next we week. don't know. I yeah. mean, I mean, I've heard the play is fantastic, and I'm uh, hearing good things about the movie. Not, I haven't heard amazing things, but we'll see. I have to say, when I saw the trailer for Cop Shop, not to go back, I, I played one of my one of my favorite games for those type of action movie, which is okay, David Ayer or Joe Carnahan. Mm. Like, I, 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 I it's like it, I don't think I see David Ayer in the. I, I've only seen the poster. It's still, but I kind of see what you're saying there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know, I I find David Ayer, I guess, more aggressive, and then David or uh, Joe Carahan, I just find kind of like tiresome because it's just like he he just kind of does like his jokes and stuff like that, and then David Ayer is just like being aggressively violent and bleak. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I wouldn't his disagree. sense of humor is weird. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree mm-hmm. with the assessment. They both just have that sort of like aggressively macho swagger that I find to be be really irksome, um, but. Also watching Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo team up. I'm like, okay, I'm on board. I am on board no matter who directed this. So, yeah, there are, there are only two other movies that have been kind of hanging around the past week that we could get to next week. And, you know, just let us know if you have a preference listeners, but there's come from away, which uh, I think hit Apple TV plus this week. And that's like a stage production movie. Um, it's the Broadway musical. I don't know too much about it. Never seen it, but that's on Apple TV. And then the other thing was card counter which we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, it has good reviews. Uh, I think it's pretty high up there, Rotten Tomatoes-wise. And that's the new Oscar Isaac film, and it's directed by Paul Schrader, so his big follow-up to First Reformed. And I've heard like from critics I trust that despite some of these really positive reviews, it's not fantastic. We haven't had a chance to see it yet, though. Wasn't able to go to a screening. Tiff is keeping us pretty busy. But hey, we might be able to talk about it next week because I think, uh, yeah, we're we're into it. We want to see what, what Paul Schrader is up to. So, but that could, that could be next week. We'll, we'll have to wait and see for sure. But that'll do it for us this week. Ryan, thanks again for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? Um, yeah, I guess I could just, just plug my, my podcast that I've been doing, uh, my pivot as John pointed out at the beginning. Uh, I host a podcast with my friend, Chris Thomas called the good, the bad, and the what's where each week we dissect, uh, we look at a category. It could be a filmography, could be a subgenre, whatever the case may be. And we pick a good film, a bad film and a what or other film in the category and we hash it out. Um, and you can follow that podcast on pretty much any podcatcher of your choice. And you can follow us on all socials at the good, bad, what? But Ryan, what if I want to go to a website? Oh, for the good, the bad, the what? Yeah. How do I find that? We have a website. It's called the good, bad, what? You do? Yeah, we do. It's called the good. What's it called? It is called. <laughs> what is my site called? It's, it's called the good, bad, what.com. So just, just like, uh, just like the socials, the good, bad, what.com. Wow. I'm going to check it out right away. I got your back, Ryan. I appreciate it, John. 
All right. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, yeah, and then we'll also link your Twitter, of course, in the show notes of this episode. But that's it for us this week. Signing off from the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. From the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. From Seattle area, Ryan Oliver. See you next time.